This is A Church in the City, a podcast by Downtown Christian Church. On this episode, Kevin shares a Palm Sunday message of hope. This talk will encourage you and challenge you as we take a closer look at the events of the historic week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Let's listen in. morning. So as a kid growing up in church, we always had palm branches, you know, and you would wave them, you know, historic representation, Palm Sunday and stuff. We don't have that. So Jonathan and I are going to take our shirts off (laughs) and wave them. (laughs) <laughs> he did it. I love it. I love you, man. That's awesome. Thank you um, for not letting me down there. I love it. So, uh, yeah, it's Palm Sunday. Um, uh, I like the fact that these are my favorite two weeks. These are my favorite two weeks to, to preach every year. Um, It's the week that changed the world. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm honored and uh, just humbled and blessed to, to share this morning. And so many just really, really good things have already been said. And so I'm just really uh, leaning back uh, and just asking Holy Spirit to, to really just help me um, bring it all, bring it all together with the things that that he put on my heart this, this week. And like Caleb was saying, I, I titled this week, A Message of Hope, and kind of subtitled, uh, The Worst Week of Your Life. I was struck. I was struck over the last couple of weeks um, by the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is is fully God, fully divine. We all, we all know that, we all understand that. But, if, but, if, but to really understand the incarnation means to understand that Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. And it's a really tricky thing um, as you get into theology and studying this kind of stuff because the more you emphasize the humanity of Christ, the trickier it gets to not de-emphasize the divinity of Christ and vice versa. But it's of utmost importance that we remember fully as we look at things like this week that Jesus walked through this as a man. As a man. The God man. (laughs) The one and only the God man, but fully as a man. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just like you and just like me. And yet found to be without sin. And I'll probably talk a little bit more about this next week uh, on resurrection Sunday, but all of the things that Jesus endured this week 
Hmm. We look at it and we say, it's easy to say that Jesus did it for us. It's easy to say Jesus was horribly tortured, brutally executed, falsely tried, whatever. You you list it all off, betrayed by his best friends, abandoned, outcast. And he was doing that all on our behalf. So Jesus did all of that for us, but he also did all of that as us. So when Jesus was horribly tortured and brutally executed, he was horribly tortured and brutally executed as you so that you didn't have to be. Like Jamie said this morning, it's not like Jesus did all of this stuff so that he could become a big deal. He was already the biggest deal there was. The king of glory, creator of worlds, God of gods, king of kings. I read this quote by Augustine this week and uh, I thought I would share it with you. He said, the death of the Lord our God should not be a cause of shame for us. Rather, it should be our greatest hope, our greatest glory. In taking upon himself the death that he found in us, he has most faithfully promised to give us life in him, such as we cannot have of ourselves. All of it. Why did God have to come as a man? He came to restore unto mankind that which was lost and stolen. He came to restore us to a place of honor. You know, in the Western world, we, we, we think a lot about justice and, 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 we, and we have this tendency to represent the gospel in a, in a legal sense, which is true, right? There's a legal transaction that takes place in the gospel, in the cross, the resurrection, where Jesus takes our death and gives us his life. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He takes our fallenness and gives us his holiness. But the gospel is much more than just that. Because I can live my life as a forgiven sinner or I can live my life as a restored son and a saint. God's man on the scene I mean, that's what mankind was created to be, right? God's man on the scene, his agent in creation, his representative. Adam named all the animals for crying out loud. I mean, how cool is that? There was such a place of honor in creation when mankind was first made. 
And we went through this and we fell from that. And, and Jesus came to restore us to that, not just to take the sin, not just to take the, the fallenness, not just to take all of it, to, but, but to literally restore us to this place of life. Think about the worst week of your life. What was it like? How'd it feel? Did you ever question everything in the midst of it? Where was God in all of that? As we look at this, I say worst week, of Jesus' life, but really was it? Or was he what he came for? But as we look at this, what we would consider, or what I would consider, maybe I don't put that on you, but what I would consider walking through this to be the worst week of, of my life, as we look at this, I think that my hope is that you'll be challenged and encouraged and uplifted. Because what we'll find is that miraculously, Jesus was able to walk through all of this with his head up. Knowing fully who he was. With his eyes set like steel on his calling and his destiny. And with his heart firmly and fully trusting in the goodness and the love of God. Think about this. On Sunday, Jesus gets up, he's with his disciples. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. Just like all good Jews at that time of year. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. It's Sunday morning. They're on their way toward the city. And Jesus says, hey, you two, go on up ahead. And when you get there, you're gonna find a colt, the foal of a donkey, upon whom no one has ever sat. I want you to untie that colt and I want you to bring it here because I need it. But when you do, somebody's gonna go, hey, What's the big idea? What are you doing untying that donkey? And when you do, just say, don't worry about it. It's for Jesus. All of that happens. So here's Jesus. He's walking in this just miraculous favor. He's, he's up here. Then he comes into Jerusalem and they're pulling, they're, they're throwing their coats on the ground. Got palm branches. They're throwing, they're making a, they're making a highway. And I don't know if you understand this, but this is, this is a throwback to the victory processional of David when he entered into the city. 
This is the coming Messiah. This is all this rich, deep imagery that as modern Americans, we don't necessarily get. But it's this deep imagery and they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of... Hosanna, by the way, means save us, rescue us, help, savior, deliverer, Messiah. So here he is, he's coming in, it's Sunday. He's coming in, he's at the top. The people are excited. The people are shouting. They're, they're, they're dancing in the streets. They're waving their shirts. He comes into the city. He takes a look around and he weeps. He weeps. It's late. So he heads back to Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Heads back to Bethany to the home of his good friend Lazarus who just recently he had uh, resurrected. Lazarus was pretty grateful to Jesus. I'm sure. I know I am, because he resurrected me. He resurrected you, but that's next week. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Dead man, come out of that grave. So he goes back to Bethany, he's hanging out there and he gets, I imagine, some some supper and, and, and some shut eye gets up in the morning on Monday and he, he heads back into Jerusalem. And on the way, he gets hungry. He wants some breakfast. Apparently he didn't have bagels and locks, but he, he wants some breakfast. And so he sees a fig tree that's in, 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 uh, in leaf and he goes over to find some figs and there's no figs on the tree. And so he curses that fig tree. And everybody's like, man, that seems a little super extra. But regardless, he curses that fig tree and they keep on going. They're like, man, Jesus must be hangry. He goes, into the, he goes into the city and it says that he took some time to go ahead and cleanse the temple again. So he comes in, the conquering king, the victorious one, the son of David, the Messiah, the savior. The people herald him, they, they receive him with open arms. He goes into the temple by this authority. He literally drives out the money changers. He flips over the tables, all of this stuff. He's on the top of his game. From what you or I would think if we were with him. Be like, man, Jesus is on fire. He's on fire. He goes on on Tuesday, you know, on Tuesday and they, and they head back in. Of course, he goes back to Bethany, staying out there in the country with his buddies. And, uh, he goes back and comes back and on the way through, they find this fig tree and the fig, Jesus and the disciples are like, whoa. Jesus teaches them on faith and he talks about, you know, faith, you know be, being able to say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, does this, all this stuff and he rolls into this entire day of teaching. And he goes toe to toe with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and they question him, where do you get this authority? 
I mean, read the story. It's amazing. Jesus is just, he's up here. He's on the, he's at the top of his game. Well, Jesus is always at the top of his game, right? But, but here he is from this kind of my perspective, my human perspective. And I'm like, man, this dude is nailing it. He's nailing it. They can't trip him up no matter what they do. Is it lawful to give to Caesar? What about the resurrection? Ridiculous. The Sadducees. You read the story? The Sadducees say there's no such thing as a resurrection. But who comes to Jesus and questions him on the resurrection? I, I don't know if I was Jesus. I'd be like, what the heck? Are you serious with this? But Jesus is far more patient with humanity than I am. And he takes the time to go ahead and correct them. Gets to the point where like literally no one would question him anymore. They're like, dang. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, He's just knocking it out of the park. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders are very, very perturbed. In fact, at that point, they, they decide to plot on how they could get rid of him. So Wednesday rolls around. There's not much written about Wednesday. What was Jesus doing? I don't know. Maybe he took the day off. Tuesday was a pretty intense day. So maybe he was just kicked back with Lazarus, like going, hey, Lazarus, remember that when I found you in that tomb? And uh, everybody was crying. And I said, hey, Lazarus. And Lazarus is like, yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for that, by the way. But on Wednesday, one of the 12, a man named Judas Iscariot, went and made a deal with the religious rulers to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And the week kind of shifted from there. On Thursday, he sends Peter and John, says, go prepare a place, go, go to this upper room and prepare a place so that we can go and we can, we can eat the Passover meal together, which is again, what we're celebrating on Thursday with this, this Passover meal, right? We like to think of kind of the Last Supper or communion as this kind of standalone thing, but it wasn't a standalone thing. This was literally in the, so Jesus had celebrating the Passover, having a Seder meal. So Jesus has a meal with his, with his closest friends in the world. He washes their feet. He shares all kinds of amazing and comforting things about the Holy Spirit and all of this other stuff in the context of this, this last time together. They eat dinner together. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He says, this, this bread which we break is in our fellowship. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, they, they go to the garden. He goes to the park with his friends in the middle of the night. Go to Gethsemane. And it's in Gethsemane that, that, he, that he prays and sweats blood and 
agonizes over about what, what's about to come. He said to his closest friends, to Peter and James and John, sons of Zebedee, he said, he said friends, I'm in agony. My soul is in torment. Will you just pray with me? Will you just pray with me? Falls on his knees and he says, Father, if there is another way, that would be really great. But I know there's not. So nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, is Jesus conflicted here in his humanity and his divinity? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus has ever conflicted over anything. I guess we could debate that if you want, but I don't think he's conflicted. I think he's merely expressing the fact that in his humanity, what's about to happen is going to be really rough. It's going to be really rough. And yet what we get to read here is that he was willing. He was willing. He was willing. Because again, what? What did we say? He knew who he was. He knew his calling and his destiny. There was a word about that this morning. He knew his calling and his destiny. And he knew the goodness and the love of God. On Friday, having been arrested now, horribly humiliated, his beard ripped out, whipped to the point of being unrecognizable as a man tortured and then executed. And yet in the midst of these horrible things, he's saying things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's saying things in front of Pilate, the most powerful man in the, in the region. He's saying, I am who, you, who they say I am. I am the king of the Jews. I mean, like, literally like this, the, the stones on this guy. I mean, wow. And yet full well knowing, sorry, that was a little crass, where all this ends full well knowing where all this ends and saying yes, 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 I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. In the middle of getting arrested, Peter, who's always so helpful, so helpful, pulls out his sword. It's like, don't worry, Jesus, I got this. <laughs> These guys got nothing on me. Pulls out a sword. 
hacks a dude's ear off. Jesus heals the guy's ear. It's just, I love Jesus so much. I'm always so impressed with Jesus and what he does in these kinds of situations. He heals the dude's ear and then he turns and he says, do you not think that I could call down legions of angels to deliver me? But that's not the plan. That's not how this story ends. That's not the point. That's not where this road stops. This is not the end, friends. He's walking down the road, carrying this cross, and he stumbles. And they make another man carry his cross on his behalf. I mean, just the humanity and yet at the same time, the divinity that says, don't you think that I don't have to do this if I don't want to? Don't you think? And yet, he said yes. He said yes. He said yes. He said yes. Friends, listen. Adversity comes. Darkness comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Caleb was talking this morning about just having a rough week. And again, thank God that because of what Jesus walked through this week, Maybe we don't have to walk through that. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, maybe we don't have to walk through that, but what about just taking it into every day? What about when stuff gets tough? What about when there's conflict? What about when you're having a difficult week? What about when you're trying to do the things that you know God has for you and yet you just keep hitting a brick wall? What about that? What about when you're at the height of your, your, your popularity? Everybody is going, yeah, Josh, 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 Josh. And on the next day, they're like, yeah, I know about that guy. Because here's the thing with Jesus, right? On Sunday, they're all going, yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And on Friday, the same crowd of people is yelling, crucify him. The same people. It wasn't a different group. I know that's a lot to think about. I know that feels heavy. But to me, it's so full of hope. It's so full of hope. Because the same, the same spirit of the same Christ is resident in me, is resident in you. The same spirit of God is resident in me, is resident in you. And he's saying the same thing today that he was then. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, that's where we're going. Yes, that's what we're doing. Yes, you can get through this. Yes, you're victorious. Yes, you've overcome. Yes, you've won. 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 I won. That's what he's saying. I overcame and you're in me. And so you overcome in me. What is it? What's the battle? What's the thing? What's the difficulty? What is it? What did pop in your mind? You've overcome. It's yours. The victory. The battle is won. It's not something you're sitting around going, waiting for the Messiah to come. He has already come and he's already overcome. All the things already given you your victory. He's already given you victory in all the things that you face. But so often in our everyday lives, when adversity arises and darkness comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we lose heart. And hope seems to be nowhere to be found. This seems common to us as humans. And yet, We know that Jesus was fully man and fully God and that the worst week of his life was lived out in his humanity just as much as it was in his divinity. So what can we learn? How do we hold on to hope in the face of darkness, disappointment, pain, loss? How do we hold to hope in the battle? Yes, we put on our armor, but sometimes the battle just seems to overwhelm us. Sometimes the, the battles, this seems like the, the lines of, of, of victory have shifted such that we're being overwhelmed and overcome. So what do we do? How do we stand in the midst of such Tumult. Listen, look at Jesus. And I know it's simple, but I want to encourage you with these three simple things this morning. And I know I mentioned this two, three times. I'm going to mention it again. The first thing that we need to do is to know who we are in Christ to know who we are in Christ and when I say no I'm not talking about some sort of cerebral understanding or some sort of head knowledge I'm talking about a deep knowing in your heart and an understanding and yet even that falls short because you have got to follow with engagement and partnership. Because if I just stop at who I know that I am in my brain, in my mind, in my thinking, in my thoughts, and yet that does not gain ground in my heart and it does not bear fruit in my actions, in my behavior, in my life, what good is it? What good is it? So when I say no, I mean understand, partner with, engage in. Know who you are in Christ. You say, I don't know who I am in Christ. Okay. Well, get around some people that do. Okay. Get around some people that do and ask them to help you. 
Go in the, we're family. We're a community. We're here. Go in the back. Tim and Amy are gonna be in the back just a little bit. They'll pray over you. They'll speak words of identity over you. They'll talk to you about that. If you don't know who you are in Christ, find out. Fall on your knees, get on your face. Say, God, what do you say about me? Get around people that understand. Get around people that know. Get around people that you go, man, that person knows who they are in Christ. Good, go get around that person and find out how they figured it out. Know your calling and your destiny. Say, what do you mean by that? You mean whether I should be a teacher or bag groceries? No, I mean your calling and your destiny as a son and a saint, as a citizen of the kingdom, as a son of the most high God, as God's man on the scene. And when I say man, I mean man or woman. I don't mean that in a gender specific way. I mean as God's representative, as his agent in the moment, wherever you are, if you're a teacher or you're bagging groceries. There's a lot of other things you could be, right? I always wanted to be a cowboy. Anybody else? Any other guys out there? Girls out there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Del. I'm like, yeah, buddy. We'll go be cowboys together. <laughs> know your calling and your destiny. Know what he made you for. He made you for glory. He made you to be a vessel of honor. He made you to be a representative of his, an agent into creation. And finally, know the goodness and the love of God. Know the goodness and the love of God. So often we fall into this dualistic thinking that there's this, you know, there's like, there's this good and evil in, in, in the divinity and somehow like all this other stuff. No, God is only good. He's only good. He's only ever, 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 ever been good. He's never been anything but good. But if we don't know, understand, Engage and participate with the goodness and the love of God. When despair comes, we will lose hope. We will lose hope because we'll go, God must be the author of this destruction. God must be the author of this sickness. Because God can do anything. Because God is sovereign. Because God is the creator. So if he's the creator and he's sovereign, then he must be responsible for this destruction. No, friend. He's only good. God is not the author of death and destruction. He's the author of life. He's the very represented, 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 that's not a word. He's the very representation of love, life, and light. Never darkness, never despair, never destruction, never death. So know who you are in Christ. Know your calling and your destiny. And know the goodness and the love of God.
The apostle Paul said, and I'll end with this, the band can come. The apostle Paul said, but far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's stand to our feet. We'll pray for us a minute. As we go into a time of response, uh, Tim and Amy are back here uh, by this little table and they would love to pray for you this morning. If, if you uh, are find yourself in need of prayer for anything, whether it's healing in your body or you find yourself here and you're like, I don't, I, I don't know who I am in Christ. I, I don't know the goodness and the love of God. I, don't, I, I, just, I just need some prayer for some of this stuff. Please make, uh, take advantage of that. They would, they would really, really love uh, to pray for you. So Father, we love you. We thank you. We are humbled uh, in your presence. King of kings, Lord of lords. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything that you're doing. We thank you that in you we have overcome. We thank you that nothing, nothing can separate us from who we are in you. We thank you that your declaration over us is our identity. We thank you that your declaration over us is our calling and our destiny. We thank you that your declaration over us is goodness and love. We thank you, Lord God, that the circumstances that we face, the battles that we fight, are not so powerful as to cancel out your declaration. Even the things that we choose to believe, albeit momentarily, Lord, but even those things are not so powerful as to cancel out your declaration over us. So Lord, I just pray that you would just show us, show us today, show us this week, show us the places in our lives, Lord, where we need to line up, where we need to line up and walk in step with your declaration of who we are in Christ, of our calling and our destiny, and of your goodness and your love in our life. Show us the God, we humble ourselves before you and just ask that you would speak to us. Thank you that you set us free. Thank you that in you is the victory that you've overcome and that we have overcome in you. Jesus. If you would like to learn more about DCC, get involved with one of our ministries or give to support us. You can find us at a churchinthecity.org. Also, follow us on Instagram at Downtown Christian Church for Sunday morning set lists, sermon series announcement videos, and more. You can also join us live on YouTube every Sunday morning for worship and teaching live from Downtown Christian Church. Thanks for listening.